Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by my bookie. My bookie will match your first deposit by 50% all the way up to $1,000. Head to mybookie.ag and use promo code GATERS to activate the offer. Bet, win, get paid at mybookie. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I am your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. Joining me on this episode is co-host Will Miles from his site, readandreaction.com, and on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. Will, man, it's been a while since uh, we have seen a Gator-dominating performance like that against an SEC team. Yeah, man, fifty-six nothing against an SEC team, not against Idaho or Western Kentucky or, or even you know in the McElwain era they didn't even really win by that much against teams like North Texas and UMass. So, um, good to see the team take care of business. Good to see a win over Vanderbilt. You know, didn't have to wait for the Austin Harden field goal at the end to get the win there in the swamp, um, even though they wore the white helmets and were trying to tempt fate for you. But uh, yeah, I mean, obviously. It, any SEC win is a big deal, and you don't want to take those lightly because, you know, a couple of years ago they didn't come, <laughs> they didn't come in bunches at all, and so to win, to win convincingly, and really to make all the mistakes they did in the first half and still win the way they did, I think is a good sign moving forward. But um, obviously, there's going to be tougher challenges than Vanderbilt moving forward, and and so the team's going to have to step it up for that. Absolutely, absolutely. So Will and I will talk about uh, you know playing Vanderbilt. Um... 56 nothing, of course. That allowed for some young players to get on the field. But young players were on the field well before uh, we knew the outcome of this game. So we'll get into a lot of the future Gators that were on the field. And you know, we caught a glimpse of the future. Uh, caught a glimpse of uh, what we can see next year uh, from these Gators. But before we get there, remember you can find Gators Breakdown on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes there. Also, listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. A lot of you are watching live on YouTube right now, so thank you so much for that. And when using those services, please share, rate, and review the show and on social media. Follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. So, Will, we mentioned, uh, look, uh, before we get into you know some of the, you know, some of the, the Gators we'll see uh, com- in the coming years, you know, uh, like, first of all, you kind of alluded to it before we got here. You know, the Gators did what they were supposed to do. And, uh, you know, too many times in their previous regimes, uh, as you mentioned, Florida was in dogfights with overmatched opponents. Heck, go back to a coach we know so well and, and Will Muschamp and what he's going through right now. Uh, he had problems uh, defeating uh, teams he was supposed to beat his time here at Florida, and that's continuing over at South Carolina right now. You know, losing to, to to North Carolina to start the season this year, uh, a loss to Tennessee for his uh, the first time in his career this season. This past weekend, losing to Appalachian State. You know, th- those are the type of games we're also used to, to to seeing under past regimes here. And now we have Dan Mullen making you know, substantial progress in two seasons now. And one of the goals we all had for this team when we come into this season, you know. Uh, uh, we we shared a question out there, and a lot of listeners uh, you know, give give us a lot of feedback because what they wanted to see from this team besides win loss record, and it was beat the teams that you're supposed to beat. Well, well, you know, Florida's doing that right now in year two, Dan, uh, in Dan Mullen so far. Now there's still two games to go, uh, and those are two games Florida should win. 
there was the, the bad loss to Missouri last season, and that's really the only game you can point to in Mullins' uh, time where you know that can be labeled as a game um, you know, in getting defeated by a team that you were supposed to beat. Yeah, you can go to the Kentucky game a little bit, but seeing how the way Kentucky ended last season and, and what they were able to do last season, you could, it's a lot more forgivable loss than what it looked like at the time. But you know, Florida's come a long way from being in those close contested battles time and time again or, or even losses with the likes of, of Georgia Southern, Florida Atlantic, Louisiana Lafayette, Vanderbilt, uh, and, and more of those teams that you mentioned as well. So you know, it's good we see games where, you know, especially at home, Will, you know, the fans are having fun, backup players are getting mean, meaningful playing time, all because Florida's taking care of business the way they're supposed to. Yeah, well, you know, last year coming off of the Missouri game, I remember watching the South Carolina game the next week, and the announcers were essentially talking about how Franks was just a stopgap at quarterback and that, you know, Florida was ready to move on, and, and then all of a sudden he caught fire, and, <laughs> and, and, you know, Trask came in against Missouri but then broke his foot during the week. So chances are we might have seen Kyle Trask last year otherwise, and but obviously the team sort of turned it around at that point right at the South Carolina game coming off that Missouri loss. And I think there's two things here. One is that the team picked itself up on Saturday, not just from the standpoint of, you know, not allowing the Georgia game to linger, though I think it maybe lingered a little bit with some of the early game mistakes. But, you know, the defense dominated the first half. They gave up 14 yards in the first quarter, four yards in the second quarter. And and at the half, Florida dominated the yardage, 277 to 18. But the offense wasn't necessarily putting the ball in the end zone. And certainly, you know, one of the touchdowns came after a turnover. And, you know, they were averaging six yards a play. So it wasn't like they were doing terribly, but it was still sort of dink and dunk go down the field. And then in the third quarter, they just exploded 24 yards a play. They only had nine plays, but they scored 28 points and just completely salted the game away i mean it's been it's been a long time this i mean i remember watching when i was there at florida watching spurrier's teams to get south carolina and vanderbilt you didn't even like if you if you weren't going to the game you really didn't even need to tune in past the first quarter because it was already 48 to nothing or something at the half and it wasn't quite like that because it was only 14 nothing here but like you said i mean in that third quarter they just pulled away and it was clear that the talent differential between florida and vanderbilt is significant especially with vanderbilt having to play their backup quarter back and you know that wasn't necessarily the case last year i mean the game the game at vanderbilt last year was close and and franks had to sort of bring florida back in the second half and there was no point in this game where anybody thought that florida was in any danger of losing the game it was more a question of whether the score was going to be ugly or whether they were eventually going to put it together and they put it together in that third quarter and you know give us a lot of good things to talk about yeah well uh, i said it on yesterday's podcast um of course, recency bias plays a part here, and you just mentioned Spurrier's teams and all that. But, man, I'm telling you, I don't remember a dominant quarter as I saw that third quarter versus Vanderbilt. I mean, offense, defense, and I'll go back to some of the stats again in case people missed it. Every play resulted in a first down or a touchdown. Every offensive play was ran on first down. I mean, it was ridiculous the way they came out after halftime. And, you know, credit to Von Grimes for for turning a, a small hitch play into a into a big sixty six yard gain. Uh, but then you know, Trask did some good things of having to step up to into the pocket and find Tyree Cleveland, and then find Kyle Pitts on the next play. I mean, it was as dominant as a quarter as I've ever seen from Florida football. Yeah, I think recency bias maybe gets you a little bit. I would yeah. say that the, the night that, that Tebow won the Heisman Trophy, basically, against South mm, Carolina, yeah. was probably one that was that dominant. I bet you you can probably pick out a couple of games that they played where they were that dominant that season in, in 2008. And, hell, the, the game against Cincinnati in 2009, yeah. they just absolutely completely blitzed the Bearcats. I, I think one of the things was is it was a little bit unexpected to yeah. see the third quarter go that way just because it was such a slog in the first in the first half. You know, they were driving up and down the field, but couldn't actually put the ball in the end zone. You figured, and and really, if you think about the way the offense has operated the last three or four weeks, it's kind of been the way it was. I mean, against LSU, they were able to put the ball in continuously into the end zone, but at the same time, it was still these long 75-yard drives. They weren't hitting giant big plays. Mm -hmm. and, you know, they come right out of the half, first play grime, 66 yards touchdown. And then, you know, they hit a couple of big plays and, and end up with a touchdown on their next drive as well. You get the fumble that Grenard picks up and takes the other way. It was just explosive play after explosive play after explosive play. And, you know, they had eight explosive plays for 255 <laughs> yards. So, you know, obviously putting, putting together, um, putting together some pretty significant, um, some significant, 
momentum on offense, really being able to to hit those big plays and not just rely on driving the ball down the field eight yards at a time. And I, and I think that's a big deal for the offense. They have to hit big plays to be successful. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, again, it, it sort of felt a little bit like the Florida State game last year, the Michigan game last year, where the mm-hmm. where Florida was clearly the better team in those games when you watch the first half. But, you know, it's like 13 to 6 or 10 to 7 or something like that at halftime. You're just like, what's going on? And then Florida took control and dominated in the second half. And, um, you know, so, yeah, I mean, obviously it was bam, 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 all explosive plays. But, again, I, I think you can go back to 2008. I think you could probably also go back to that Florida State game last year. I mean, in the second half, they drove the opening kickoff right – or the opening kickoff of the second half right down the field, score touchdown, never looked back, had the big play to Van Jefferson. DeAndre Francois couldn't really get anything going, had the strip sack by, I think it was Polite, um, that led to another touchdown. So, They've had a few of those under Mullen. I think one of the interesting things is in, in the uh, in the article that I had, um, I talked about, I think it was McIlwain had three games in his three years where they scored 40-plus points, and this is now Mullen's eighth game <laughs> where they scored 40-plus points. So clearly he's doing something on the offensive side of the ball that's significant. Um, it's one of those things where, you know, if they had the kind of dominant defenses that Florida had with mm-hmm. Jared Davis and Anzalone and all those sorts of guys, um, you know, this would be a truly dominant team. They don't have those guys up front, yeah. but uh, you know, Hey, hopefully they're going to get a few of those guys. And with Mullen calling the plays, I think we would be pretty confident that the offense is going to be successful. Yeah. I got some more stats too. Later on, we'll get into of uh, kind of the, the turnaround uh, after this Vanderbilt game and what, what uh, Kyle Trask is doing this year, as far as the quarterback position goes. So, Will, it was a, uh, it was a nice preview to see production from players that, uh, that we'll see and expect big things from, uh, you know, next season in the in the years to come, we got to see a glimpse of uh, of the future on the offensive line and and on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Ethan White probably wouldn't have started at right guard if Brett Hagee was healthy, but there he was and and played well with Richard Garage at the left guard spot as well. Uh, we actually got to see some some mobility out of that right guard spot in comparison to what Chris Blythe was struggling with uh, there for most of the season. Uh, we've seen what Garage can do for most of this season. Uh, and there's a question of whether, you know, we'll see him at guard or left tackle next season. But for now, uh, there could be a combination of G- Garage, Heggy, and White in the middle of this offensive line next year. And after what we saw uh, against Vanderbilt, a good a good jumping off point, a good starting point uh, there for the you know what we may can see coming up uh, in the interior of the offensive line. Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't a disaster, which is yeah. sometimes what will happen if you bring in a true freshman, you get missed assignments, you get guys hit. I mean, heck, just look at Vanderbilt. <laughs> there were there were a bunch of missed assignments on the offensive side of the ball for Vanderbilt that led to some sacks. But um, so there wasn't anything like that. There wasn't anything glaring that went out. There were a few plays that where I thought Ethan White did a really good job of, of knocking his guy back. Um, there were also a couple of plays where I thought Garage did a really nice job of pulling around the edge and ceiling. In particular, there was a third and two where Trask kept the ball on a QB draw. They pulled Garage around the side, and he was able to really take on his man and stone him, and it really opened it up for opened it up for Trask. And you know, as much as as much fun as it is to see Trask chuck the ball all over the yard, Florida's going to have to run the ball at some point, and maybe that's not going to happen this year. Maybe that's just wishful thinking. But at the same time. That's actually one of the things I was a little bit surprised at in this game is that they didn't show really any desire to try to run the ball. They just basically Mm -hmm. said, we're going to chuck it all over the place, which I mean, obviously 56 to nothing, it worked. But this is the time when you've got an opportunity to work on those sorts of things. And and I was a little bit surprised they didn't work on it as much, especially, you know, you bring in young offensive linemen, usually they're better at run blocking than they are at pass blocking. Um, but obviously, oh, how, many, how many times have we said that this season? Yeah, well, <laughs> and, and, you know, these are guys who've been behind Blake and been behind Heggie. And so yeah. you would expect a drop off in play. I, I don't know that I necessarily saw it, but again, it's a Vanderbilt defensive line. Mm-hmm. If you put them in against LSU or you put them in against Georgia, maybe you'd start to see a drop off at that point. So um, I'm not going to get overly excited about anything in this game other than the guys did their job. And in the past, there have been times where the players didn't do their jobs and, and that wound up causing problems. And it doesn't look like that's an issue, at, at least right now under Mullen. Yeah, and then yeah, yeah, that's all I meant. It was a good, a good starting off point, just because it is guys that we'll see next year, uh, and and just much maligned offensive line throughout the whole season. Uh, And now with three games to play, 
Uh, you, you're getting to see some guys uh, now that will be instrumental, especially on the offensive line uh, next year. You know, receivers are as deep. We'll, we're still seeing uh, you know, the veteran group that's going to lead this group, and most of those guys will be gone after this year. But uh, as far as the offensive line goes and, and quarterback position and running back position besides the, the Michael P. Ryan, got a little bit of a glimpse uh, there uh, on Saturday versus Vanderbilt. Yeah, I mean, it, it was nice to see. I mean, obviously, these guys are the future. If they go out there and just lay an egg, then you get a little bit disturbed. And hopefully, I, th- you know, you have you have Blythe leave the program or at least enter the transfer portal. You have Heggie injured, and you've got additional guys who can step in and at least be functional. I think that's a very important thing. And I mean, more than functional, I think I think Ethan White played very very well. I, I, I don't. Um, again, it's a question of how good is Vanderbilt, but still, mm-hmm. I mean, you're playing an SEC opponent. This isn't playing Towson. This isn't playing UT Martin. It's playing and it's playing a power five opponent in the SEC. Are they a real good team? No, they're not, but they beat Missouri. So, so it's, it's not as if they, they aren't capable of putting together, um, putting together a game and, and this one, it just wasn't close. And part of that was the, the offensive line was able to keep them off of Trask for the most part. And, you know, again, if you're going to call 40 run plays to every or 40 pass plays to every 10 run plays, that's more of the offensive line's job is to keep the defense off the quarterback than it is to open lanes in the running game. Yeah. And well, but kind of funny too, man, going back and I saw you over, uh, over the weekend having to explain, plenty of times uh you know why this offense needs to be balanced and even against Vanderbilt um you know as you said there's an overmatched opponent you thought you might see this uh this offense work on the run game a bit I even kind of said that in the preview last week too that Florida may try and get up big uh big in the passing game quick so you could work in some of these young offensive linemen uh, and work on the run game but at this point I think this was just another example of Dan Mullen knows what this team is. He knows they're going to struggle running the ball. Kyle Trask overall still doesn't have a lot of experience. When Emory Jones is going to come in, he's going to let him throw the ball toward the end of the game a little bit as well. I think Mullen just knows with the makeup of this team, he's going to continue to do the things they do well. Yeah, I mean, you know, we always talk when, – whenever a team struggles, you, you say, hey, it's the coach's job to put guys in a position to succeed – and then, you know, if, if they weren't throwing the ball at all, if they were stubbornly sticking to the run, we'd probably be complaining about that too. <laughs> but at the <laughs> same time, you know, at least this year, Vanderbilt excluded. Florida has been much better on the offensive side of the ball when they've been balanced in terms of their run calls. So when they've had a balanced run-pass ratio, they've been much better. Now, that doesn't mean they've gotten identical yardage, but at least draws linebackers up so you can throw behind them and those sorts of things. And, you know, like the touchdown throw to Pitts over the middle, um, they ran a play action, and Vanderbilt's, Vanderbilt's linebackers crept up and opened up that throw over the middle. And to be honest, if you're not running the ball very much, the linebackers shouldn't bite. And, you know, Vander's, Vander, Vandy's linebackers bit, so you, so the play's open, but you start playing better teams and those sorts of things don't open up. So, um, you know, we'll see. I, I, I think the, the problem is when you run – when you run the ball, you open up windows. Mm-hmm. The windows start to get a little bit bigger. And they did a few things where they ran some end arounds with Tony yeah. and with Wayne and, and those sorts of guys and got them sort of involved in the game. Obviously brought in Emory Jones, got him a little bit of running running space as well. But, you know, you, you got LaMichael P. Ryan with, with four rushing attempts. You got Malik Davis with three, Naquan Wright with three, Iris and Clement with one, and Damian Pierce with two. They're not, ru- they're not you know, gashing anybody by any means but it just seems odd that mm-hmm. that's the that's the path that they're going to take in games where the opponent is clearly overmatched I mean, if anything else you can build up some confidence in the guys that hey we actually can't run block um but they haven't decided to do that i mean obviously i've i've i'm not shy to criticize mullen but at the end of the day you're eight and two you won the game i really don't have anything to complain about other than at some point along the along the way you're going to need to run the ball and uh, you know, Florida hasn't shown the ability to do that. Now they've got all the little screens, different things like that. But you know, you're going to come up against a defense that can stop it. Now it probably won't be Missouri. It probably won't be Florida State. But in a bowl game, if you play a team that's you know high, high quality, you may run into somebody. And the question will be, are they going to be able to run the ball when that, or to run out the clock at the end of the game when you have a lead? So I think there's some. 
like I think there's value to testing that in a game against an overmatched opponent, but yeah, you won 56 to nothing. I'm like, not going to get too mad about it. <laughs> All right, we'll move to the other side of the ball a little bit here, Will. And, you know, uh, pressuring po- uh, opponents into mistakes has been uh, pretty much the calling card for this Gators two, uh, 2019 defense. And, you know, that statement's backed up by Florida's 21 takeaways this season, which, uh, you know, ranked tied for third nationally. Um, their 47 takeaways since the start of last season when Dan Mullen and Ty Grantham came in are tied for the most with Syracuse and Utah State uh, at 47 apiece uh, there. So Florida, Syracuse, Utah State uh, up there and causing turnovers uh, the last two seasons. And against an overmatched offense led by quarterback Deuce Wallace from Vanderbilt, you know, Florida, once again, will we'll finally de- good to see this come back around, was able to create havoc and – Man, Mamu Diabate led the charge in getting to the quarterback with his, and did so three times. Will, you know, Mullen, uh, in his Monday press conference, praised Diabate for, for worrying about the plays that you're on the field for. Uh, he was saying that in relation to Diabate being named you know, SEC Freshman of the Week, and he only played 19 snaps in the game. 19 snaps and three sacks. So, you know, that's a, a good example of playing well when given the chance and not worrying about the snap counts, you know, not being so selfish out there and just making the most of your opportunity. Well, man, you look at him and well, we, this is one guy I think, you know, we pinpointed last recruiting cycle. We talked a lot about Mamu Diabate. He was an early enrollee when he, what he was able to do early on. He's so fast. Uh, and it, you know, it definitely helps against a team like Vanderbilt, uh, you know, who, has trouble keeping up with, you know, top, top, top tier, top end uh, SEC players. And look, they didn't even block him at times. <laughs> so uh, that's going to make it a whole lot easier when you're as fast as the Ibate is to get back there in the backfield. But, you know, he's starting to show flashes. He's got some good play in time uh, the, the last couple games. Shows some flashes against Georgia as well. And he's usually really, his, really using his speed you know, to get around on the field and, and, and through the opposing offensive line. Yeah, I mean, I think anybody who watched the game was impressed with Diabate, though I would say, again, the fact that he wasn't blocked on two of his sacks. I mean, he did what he was supposed to do, but the protections that, and in fact, on the one that was returned for a touchdown, <laughs> the the, uh, the color guy was actually, you know, indicating that the quarterback had rolled the cup or had rolled his blocking over to the right-hand side and he was accountable for the guy coming off mm. the edge and then didn't pay any attention to the guy coming <laughs> off the edge. And I mean, so that's really a Vanderbilt turnover, but at the same time, you got to make the play when you get the opportunity. And, and Diabate did that. I, I'd say the guy I was really impressed with was James Houston. Yeah. So, you know, he's just a sophomore and, and, you know, eight tackles four solo one and a half tackles for loss had a quarterback hurry. So, you know, we make a big deal about the defensive linemen who are leaving Zuniga and Grenard, obviously graduating, but at the same time, you've got David Reese, who's going to be graduating as well. And yeah. so who's going to be the guy who steps into the middle and starts showing out in that capacity and starts being sort of the leader in the middle of the defense. And I think Houston sort of took a step forward to be able to do that. And then, you know, I thought it was also good to Daryl Slayton had six tackles, um, you know, he's somebody who struggled at times this year, um, struggled really sort of getting off the ball. He's been pancaked a few times in some of the games against the big boys. So I think it's a good thing to see him get some playing time and to see him um, start participating in, in getting some tackles. And, and two weeks in a row, too, we'll get some two good, pretty good running backs and, you know, teams that would want to run the ball. Yeah. Well, I mean, and you know, you got Chatfield and Bogle and yeah. and Carter and those guys were all getting playing time. And then you combine that with Grenard and, and Schuler and <laughs> and the, the the guys they've had out there normally. And yeah, the defensive line I think is starting to get a little bit more depth. I think I think I mentioned maybe a week or two ago that I I was impressed with Zachary Carter at the end of the South Carolina game. In the second half, I thought he played played really well. And so I think you're starting to see some development for those guys in the defensive line. Now, are they as explosive as Grenard and Zuniga? No. But, um, you know, if Diabate takes a step forward, if Bogle mm-hmm. takes a step forward this offseason, the fact that they're getting some playing time, I and mean, even Lloyd Summerall was in the game yeah. um, this weekend. So, you know, these guys are starting to get some playing time, starting to get some experience, and they're going to be needed because next year a lot of guys on the defensive side of the ball are going to be gone, and uh, and that experience is going to be important. And I'm glad you brought up, you know, those guys that play inside on the defensive line too, because they are getting better, uh, as you mentioned, especially to Daryl Slayton, some guy who's been much maligned, you know, the last two seasons, uh, someone who we've just been waiting to step up, and you know, as you said, the last couple of weeks have you teamed those guys with, hey, look, a lot of people out there are, are very high on Gervin Dexter and uh, you know the potential of what he can bring to the table and. 
you know, by all at least Gator measures and looking at it with some orange and blue glasses, it probably should be a five star <laughs> when you look at it. And, and, and if you want to put a you know number of recruiting service uh, on him, but man, well, I mean, if he can live up to his potential and, and what you're seeing right now with the last couple of games, at least in, in run stopping uh, for this defense, I mean, you're right. There, there are, there are some things to look forward to uh, on the inside of this defensive line as well. Yeah, well, I'm not the first one to mention it, but the attrition that that Florida's seen in in the recruiting classes and and transfers and dismissals and all that sort of stuff plays a role where you know they they're going to have to hit on a higher percentage of these guys who are big time recruits and you know the fact that we're starting to see some flashes from Carter that we're starting to see some flashes from Slayton and for Slayton in particular I mean the guy yeah. was an offensive lineman <laughs> that that's what he was actually recruited as or he was recruited as a defensive lineman but he, he played offensive line that was how he was ranked so you know sometimes it takes a little while for the light to go on for those guys and hopefully this is sort of an indication that that's happening but um yeah, I mean, they're going to have to hit on everybody, right? Cox has to be good when he comes in. Yeah. Uh, Dexter's going to have to be good when he comes in because there's there are going to be some significant holes. I mean, we asked the question, could the defense be as good this year with Ja'Kai Polite leaving? And the answer has been that Grenard, when he's been healthy, has been just as good as Polite. At the same time, they don't have those 12 sacks from Polite. And when Zaniga and Grenard have gone down, there hasn't been anybody who's really been able to step in and replace them, particularly against against LSU and in some respects against Georgia. So, yeah, I think I think some of the guys are starting to show that they can be solid contributors, mm-hmm. uh, but they do need that guy who's who's able to really get around the edge on a consistent basis and is, and is difficult to block. And maybe that's Diabate. Maybe it's somebody like James Houston coming from the linebacker position, or maybe it's Brenton Cox or Gervon Dexter, um, you know, one of the guys who's not necessarily playing right now. But that's sort of the, the last thing they're going to have to add. And if Diabate is starting to show that, then that's a great sign, obviously. Absolutely, Will. And we know just how important it is, as you just said, you know, the, the pressure and what that means for Florida. And that was ranted up this game. It produced six sacks. Uh, Florida's 35 sacks uh, on the season, two shy of last year's total. So, uh, of course, you know, that sack number it keeps going up. They're good, good for eighth in college football right now. Uh, 72 tackles for loss or tied for 13th. And look, the, the pressure made Wallace force some throws. And hey, look, there he is again. Don Steiner, two interceptions uh, out of it. Tied for the SEC lead wheel uh, with four interceptions on the season. Uh, and, and that was a stat headline uh, for this Florida secondary. I saw plenty of changes this weekend versus Vanderbilt as well. Here we go again. Young players here too, Will, uh, making their presence felt. Kyrie Elam gets to start opposite C.J. Henderson uh, at outside cornerback while Marco Wilson slid inside to take, to take over for trading. Uh, nothing really stands out, and that's a good thing. Uh, you know, Vanderbilt was held to 77 yards passing. Uh, Elam even had a pass breakup here in, in the game. Dean did come in and play some outside and, and star there. There was one busted coverage uh, that Vanderbilt couldn't capitalize on. Uh, but with so many lineup changes and young guys on the field, uh, you know, Chester Kimbrough, Jadon Hill getting in action there too. Uh, even though uh, I know the quarterback didn't really bring that much of a challenge, you know, still good for the most part not to see so much miscommunication and, and being in their spots and make, making plays when the ball does come their way. So, yeah, Will, the, the harsh reality of it, you know, against the two best teams Florida played this season, you know, these stats have taken a hit. But it does show the you know this last weekend does show the potential in, in Florida doing what they need to do versus lesser opponents and with some young guys on the field. Absolutely. Well, I mean, at the beginning of the year, you would have said Florida's going to struggle against LSU and Georgia because of talent discrepancies between the two teams, and and that's what sort of happened, right? I mean, you've got safeties back there, and they've really sort of kept the rotation going because they don't have two safeties who have absolutely stood out, and you know Steiner does things that. Davis and Stewart don't. Davis and Stewart do things that Taylor doesn't. And, and so the reality is, is that they have to rotate them just like you rotate running backs or just like you rotate linebackers or or whoever. And, and that's sort of been what Grantham's had to do. So um, I, I think, you know, the six sacks become very, very significant when you start talking about how the secondary is playing, right? I mean, mm-hmm. so you have the six sacks, you've got a bunch of tackles for loss, you've got four quarterback hurries, and at the end of the day, if you're getting to the quarterback and putting him under duress, then the defensive backs are always going to look better. And, and you know, if you want to pinpoint I think the defensive back struggled against Georgia, but part of that was they couldn't get any pressure on Fromm. 
And, you know, I, I know a lot of people sort of made, made a big deal about the fact that they were really manning up against, <laughs> against the wide receivers for Vanderbilt. Well, part of that is, is that you can man up against guys who aren't quite as gifted. And the other part is, is that if you're getting to the quarterback, you don't have to hold you don't have to you don't have to stay in coverage for near as long as you do if you can't get to the quarterback and if you go one on one with somebody and can't get to the quarterback somebody's going to be open so you know it, it's all sort of a systemic thing right i mean you get pressure mm-hmm. on the quarterback it makes the dbs look better the dbs play well it gives the defensive line more time to get to the quarterback and and again i think that's sort of what we saw is that vandy's offensive line with a pretty green quarterback really did struggle and you know you get a couple of open shots on the guy and <laughs> and you're going to start feeling footsteps but again steiner has to be in the right position to make those interceptions that's one of the things that you really see when you look at him on tape is he's typically in the right place now there have been times where he struggled to make the play, but he's always been in the right place. There are other guys who are much more physically gifted who aren't necessarily always in the right place. And so there, there's a balance and Grantham's had to sort of, had to sort of balance that. And then you factor in guys like Elam and Kembro and, and Hill and all those sorts of guys getting in and getting experience. They've sort of gotten in all year, but this is the yeah. first time that they've actually used Kyrie Elam in a way that allowed them to do something specific with their defense. Um, so, you know, I think it's a good thing that they're able to do that and and certainly is is a promising sign that those guys are getting in and performing. Yeah, absolutely there. So got some more in this episode, but before we get there, uh, you're the type of fan that knows football so well that you could choose any game and call it. Well, my bookie is the place for you because they let you turn all your sports knowledge into cash in your wallet. Between football season, NBA, and college basketball season, it's time to get off the sideline and get in on the action with my bookie. If you're the kind who likes to bet a little and win a lot, then try parlay. Pick your locks for the week, put them together in one parlay bet, and when they all come through, the rewards will be huge. Tired of watching the games from the couch or nothing to gain? Then right now, go to my bookie and they'll match your first deposit by 50% all the way up to $1,000. Use promo code GATERS to activate the offer. Visit my bookie online today at mybookie.ag. That's M Y B O O K I E dot A G. And don't forget to use promo code GATERS when creating your account to claim the bonus. Bet, win, get paid at my bookie. So we'll uh, you know take a look at the, the article uh, that you released at Read and Reaction and uh, the you know looking back at what you saw uh, the Gators do versus Vanderbilt and take a look at the quarterback position here and uh, one big takeaway will that in, in reading your article here was you no know, it wasn't what Kyle Trask did with his arm but him using his legs uh, and uh, and wait for it our favorite Dan Mullen turn becoming a willing runner so uh, we were able to see him scramble for a nine yard touchdown had multiple short yard uh, design run plays uh, and we may would have liked to seen those in some recent fourth and one situations but uh, uh, you know the but but in short yard it just needs to be an option and a threat for opposing defenses yeah well at the end of the day I don't think anybody actually believes that Florida's going to run the ball on third and short and fourth and short you saw that on the first fourth and short that they went to where they they guarded Pirine pretty well on that one I mean, if they had completed the pass, P. Ryan's going for a touchdown, yeah. but, the, but the defensive back was right there with him. So, And those are the risks. I mean, the last two weeks on those fourth and runs, those are the risks that you take when running when, when passing the ball in those situations. Yeah, well, and there's no problem with passing the ball in those situations as long as you don't do it every time. Yeah. And I think Florida's tendency on, on first down is to throw the ball. I think their tendency on fourth down is to throw the ball. I think when they're trying to get ahead of the chains or when they need a key play, they've pretty much defaulted to – to throw on the ball. But the problem is if you always do that, then you don't have the element of surprise. And, you know, they got the element of surprise on third and short against LSU, but ever since, and, you know, obviously Tyree Cleveland gets held and they throw the interception, but ever since then it's been throw, throw, throw every time they've had a third and short or a fourth and short, believe me, people take note of that. And they look at that and say, okay, linebackers don't get sucked in. We'll give a two yard run up, but if we can stop them, you know, but if we stay home on the pass, then it's going to be a difficult play for them to make. They're going to try to hit it relatively quickly and we can jump the routes and we can potentially stop them. And that's what's happened. So I, I think the, uh, but man, that P run, it was such a good call. <laughs> I mean, so, so the pass was there, but the pass yeah. had to be perfect. Yep. And 
Mullins called that play before. I remember I've seen that play essentially in a game against LSU a few years ago when he was with Mississippi State, yeah. where the running back leaked off, leaked out in either a third and short or a fourth and short situation. And the pass didn't have to be perfect because there was no defensive back with him. And, you know, in this case, the misdirection didn't necessarily work because they didn't run the ball. So, you know, later you go to later in the game and all of a sudden third and one, third and two Trask is starting to run the ball to get the first down. It's just quarterback power. Same thing they did with Franks. Every time they got in that situation last year, it's good to see because that's something that you have to do as part of the small and offense. You have to be able to pick up those third and ones, third and twos with the quarterback to set up the pass play that you want to hit the home run with. You, you can't just go for a home run every time. If you don't have linebackers sinking in, if you, if you don't have any sort of um, element of surprise when you try to throw the ball. And that's, I think what they're going to try to build. All right. Well, some news and notes here for, for Kyle Trask and what he's been able to do with his arm though. Uh, so far this season, you know, university of Florida puts these notes out and, well, I mean, every week now it just kind of adds to it of what uh, you know what Dan Mullen's been able to do at this quarterback position, but what also what Kyle Trask is able to do uh, for some you know the, that some other quarterbacks just quite simply haven't been able to do uh, in, in a Gator uniform uh, in the last decade or so. You know, Trask has thrown for 19 touchdowns this year, making him one of 27 FBS quarterbacks to do so. But his 239 attempts are the fifth fewest. Uh, in that group there. So Trask has thrown for 300-plus yards twice this year, uh, amassing a career high of 363 against Vanderbilt, uh, and that was 310 yards versus uh, LSU as well. Uh, his 363 yards were the highest total by a Gator since Tim Tebow's 482 against Cincinnati and t- in Tebow's last game. Uh, it was the highest total against the SEC team since Rex Grossman's 375 against Kentucky all the way back in two 2002 Trask joined Tim Tebow uh, with uh, three in 2007 and Chris Leak two in 2005, four in 2004 as the only Gator since the start of 2003 to post multiple 300 yard passing games in the same season. Uh, Trask is also the first Gator since Leak with uh, three in 2004 to have a to have two 300 yard outings against SEC opponents in the same season. Well, it's ridiculous uh, that it's been this long since we've seen a Gator quarterback do this stuff. And here's here's the big one. Since the start of the 2010 season, all other Gators have combined for three 300-yard passing games. Kyle Trask has two this year. It's been three since 2010 when Urban Meyer was on his way out and Will Muschamp took over. Yeah, well, I think that says something about why maybe South Carolina is losing to Appalachian State <laughs> by chucking the ball into the bushes on the last play of the game. Um, yeah, obviously there's been quite a few struggles at, at Florida quarterback. And and Trask, I think, has acquitted himself very well this year, right? I mean, obviously he's lost two games, but that's the LSU to Georgia. And he played very, very well, I think, against LSU. Not quite as well against Georgia, but – um, you know, some of the mistakes on sacks that he's taken and things like that have sort of have have negated some of the things that he's done through the air. But at the end of the day, the guy's averaging 8.4 yards per throw. Um, I, I'd like to see him run the ball a little bit more. Mm-hmm. There have been some opportunities to do that that he hasn't necessarily taken the taken advantage of. But at the same time, he also wrenched his knee against Auburn, and I think that may have had and may still be having a little bit of an impact in terms of how often he wants to run and how willing he is to run when when the opportunity presents itself. So, yeah, I mean, if you'd have told me at the beginning of the year that that Felipe Franks was going to go down against Kentucky and Kyle Trask was going to be the backup and he was going to come in and play the rest of the year – and you told me he was going to play above average quarterback for him, I'd say that's great. And I think some of the stats say that he's playing very, very well. I think some of the stats say that he's playing above average, but not necessarily at an elite level. And I think he's probably somewhere in between there. Mm-hmm. I mean, his, his QB rating, I think, is around, or passer rating is around 155 or something like that, which is not elite. It's just sort of below that elite level. And I think that sort of captures where he's at. And I think, you know, I might have tweeted this like a month or two ago, but basically was looking at some of the stuff that he had done and saying, you know, like 
the experience that he's getting when people look at Joe Burrow and say, look, he took that leap from year one to year two. Um, this is sort of not, it's not the same situation, but it's a similar situation in that Trask had a similar accuracy profile when he was in high school, though obviously didn't play near as much. And then he comes and he's been very, very accurate this year. And he's thrown, you know, like I said, 8.4 yards per throw. It's conceivable that he can take another step forward with all the experience that he's getting. So, you know, I don't want to say he's going to be Burrow because I'm not sure anybody's going to be Burrow, but I think there's reason to believe that Trask is just going to get better as he continues to play. Yeah, I mean, different offenses play a part in that too, of course, uh, as well. So, you know, you know, like as you said, hopefully uh, another step up next year with just more experience being out there on the field uh, as well. Uh, one more feather in Dan Mullen's cap uh, here, kind of continue some of these stats there. If you throw Felipe Franks and Emory Jones into the mix and combine their stats with Trask uh, in some of the games this year, the Gators have five 300-yard passing games in a season for the first time since 2002. It's also the first time since 2001 that four of those games come against SEC opponents. So, well, just uh, you know, not 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 necessarily giving Trask all the credit there, but uh, you know, Felipe Franks, Emory Jones, Kyle Trask. That's just uh, one more feather in Dan Mullen's cap. Yeah, it's interesting because it hasn't really translated into as many points as it did last year. Yeah. So, I mean, you think about what what Florida did last year. So, this year, Florida's averaging 33.3 points per game. Last year, they averaged 35 points per game. But some of those big points have been Vanderbilt and UT Martin and Towson and things like that. Um, you know, up until the la- up until this week. You know, this wasn't something where I thought it was an explosive offense as opposed to what it was last year. But then you go back and think about what it was last year. It wasn't really explosive until that South Carolina game. In yeah. fact, you know, against Georgia and Missouri, everybody wanted a different quarterback, and rightly so because Franks didn't play very well in those games. But, you know, so the offense didn't become explosive till the latter third of the, of the season. Hopefully that's the sign that we're seeing here. But, you know, there have been a lot of turnovers and a lot of mistakes that are kind of uncharacteristic of Mullen offenses this year. But, but from a pure volume standpoint in terms of putting up yardage and putting up a lot of it, they've obviously been very, very good this year. Yeah. Uh, so, Will, we're talking about players now and that, that will be making it. You know, Kyle Trask, um, Freebay Franks, and Ray Jones, however that quarterback situation works out. And, and a lot of the freshmen and young guys, sophomores uh, that we talked about uh, here. You know, the season's winding down a little bit and only only two more games. And, you know, well, this is a chance to kind of enjoy these seniors these Gators have uh, this year. I mean, you know, especially this receiver core. We just talked about this passing game and how much these guys are getting involved. Uh, but, you know, Florida's going to miss Swain and, and Hammond and Van Jefferson and you know that, that Tyree Cleveland, uh, that group who's been around for so long, has been through so much, had to go through some ugly football, now reaping their rewards. And, you know, all these stats that I just threw out uh, there, you know, I don't think um, you know, this, this group of receivers, of course, we all go back to, you know, Spurrier's receivers and uh, Myers receivers and all, all this litany of – you know, all Americans and all SEC type of players there that, that, that came with those two regimes. But, you know, I think when it's all said and done, you know, Gator Nation's going to look back at this group and, as I said, just look at everything they've been through and how they've been able to win games now these past two years and, uh, you know, really uh, give kudos to what these guys have been able to bring to the table. Absolutely. I mean, you mentioned Swain and Hammond. You obviously have Van Jefferson, who hasn't been here for his entire career, but has sort of made a mark in the program. Somebody like Tyree Cleveland, who has really accepted the role that he has mm-hmm. with Jefferson and 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 uh, Grimes coming in, and you know, Cleveland has and all these guys have had to share reps, have had to share um, different positions. I think I think Mullen said that in the post game presser. Um, right after the game against Vanderbilt, that the two team captains play the same position, and they're both so not only are they both wide receivers, but they play the same position, and that's a really rare thing that you would have that because those guys are typically competing with each other, and so and they have a like a friendly agreement: one will start one game, and one will start the next game. Well, and you know, particularly at, at wide receiver, where you know the, the, a lot of times those guys have reputations for being divas, hadn't been a hadn't even been a hint of that this year, and. And it's one of the things that I think sort of marks, you know, it, it starts, I think, with Franks and with Trask. I mean, those guys obviously are competing, but they've been rooting for each other the whole time along. And I, I believe Trask, when he said he felt awful about the injury for Franks, I think Franks probably felt awful about the injury for Trask last year. And, you know, those guys respect each other, respect the hard work they're putting in. And obviously, um, 
you know, Frank's got a lot better under Mullen's tutelage than when he was a back away. But Trask has what Trask has as well, because you can see how much better he's gotten and how prepared he was to be the number one quarterback when he came in. So, you know, I think a lot of that is attributable to sort of the culture of the team. And I think the culture of the team really sort of gets its, you know, this is a team that was, that was really, really bad two years ago. And somehow from that, these guys have really become leaders. And I think you see that in the way the, the wide receiver sort of set the tone for that. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned how improved Franks and and Trask are as well. But even just receivers, uh, and going back to them, because look, if you would have told me, you know, before last year, Hammond and Swain would have turned into quality playmakers and guys they could count on every game to go do something and even breakaway plays. Like I had no idea Swain had the ability to do some of the things that he did. Like, yeah, you could go back and watch high school film. A lot of guys can do that in high school. But you know, from what we saw uh, with his production under Jim McElwain, I was like, okay, maybe you know, it's just not going to happen. But being able to, to see some of the big plays that Hammond and Swain have been able to take part in the last couple of years, you know, just you know, kudos to another kudos to this staff. But, uh, you know, the, the season's winding down, and I just, you know, these next two games and, and plus the, the bowl game, we just kind of won't get our nation to take note of, uh, you know, what, what we see for, from these receiver core, this receiver core before we don't see him next year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think again, it's symbiotic, right? The quarterback has to yeah. deliver the ball in on time and, and in a good place where the, where the wide receiver can run with it. And, you know, Frank's wasn't necessarily when he was playing, wasn't necessarily somebody who spread the ball around. So I do think we've seen a lot more from some of these guys, probably because Trask's in there. And, you know, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, he's, he's probably a better pure passer than Frank's is. Whether he's a better quarterback, I think they each have different sets of skills that they bring to the table. But, but I think that has allowed guys like, Hammond and Swain to shine a little bit, maybe in a way they wouldn't have. I think when you're also talking about seniors, you got to talk about Nick Buchanan at center. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously the offensive line last year towards the end of the year was a really good unit. Buchanan was part of that. I don't know that he's necessarily taken a step back. I think he's just been surrounded by guys who have a lot less experience. And, you know, there, there's a lot of talk about how the offensive line needs an awful lot of work, but we haven't seen any sort of missed snaps, um, even with different quarterbacks coming in and out. And, um, you know, from the standpoint of, I, I don't know that, you know, the game against Auburn, I think is a good example. The pressure has tended to come from the outside or has tended to come to come from missed assignments. It hasn't come from, um, you know, Buchanan getting bullied and getting pushed back into the pocket, at least not very often. So, um, you know, a very solid player. I don't think anybody's going to be, uh, you're not going to mistake him for, for an all person yeah. in the NFL. But again, you talk about guys who step in. I mean, they had McCoy back there at center two years ago. Um, Buchanan steps in last year and really becomes part of that offensive line last year. And has probably been the glue that's kept the offensive line together this year as they've struggled. Yeah. So we'll have to do this again too, for the defense goes of like, you know, what Jabari Zanigas went through and CJ Henderson and Marco, uh, Marco Wilson, you know, not seniors, but those guys are probably not going to be back either. And what those guys have went through this year with, with all the injuries and in last year, all that good stuff too. But, uh, uh, yeah, you know, especially when the season wraps up, we'll, we'll take a look at some more of these guys. But, uh, well, I mean, one more thing kind of coming from this past, uh, past week, you know, Emory Jones to Copeland and that 37 yard pass. I mean, man, what a, what a pretty pass, uh, for, from Emory Jones there to Copeland and paired with Tony, uh, some plays as well. And I mentioned like something like that in the preseason, but man, give me, give me more of something like, uh, you know, do it, some Emory Jones and, and Kadarius Tony in the backfield to you maybe jump start the, this run game in times when it's you know, we talked about the struggles of the run game. You know, I, I jokingly said before the season it was it was halfway joking but halfway serious as well. I mean, I didn't know the run game, of course, would, would struggle during the season like it has, but maybe it is something where Emory Jones and, and Damian Pierce or Malik Davis or LaMichael Piran are in the backfield at the same time with Kadarius Tony, and you have a three-headed monster in the backfield not knowing necessarily uh, when it's going to go. And I, I forget who tweeted it out uh, yesterday, uh, but you know, there, there, uh, somebody said, you know, give this to me. But you had a uh, the Ravens yesterday with Lamar Jackson, Robert Griffin, and Mark Ingram all in the backfield together running an option play <laughs> there. Uh, and uh, somebody, you know, Gator fan tweeted that out and said, give me that with Emory, Tony, uh, and uh, and Damian Pierce. And, man, you know, Flip Mullen, with the season winding down, if you could do something like that, and we saw maybe a glimpse of it with Emory and Tony against Vanderbilt, you know, maybe it's something you can figure out late in the season. 
Maybe. I mean, you know, you got to sort of put them in when there's more than four minutes left to really really see what kind of stuff you're going to see. That was one of the weird things in the game. Um, You know, you you wondered exactly why Trask was still in there up 49 to nothing with, you know, like eight minutes left or whatever it was in the fourth quarter. But, hey, maybe he needs experience or maybe Mm -hmm. Mullen didn't like the yelling match that he had with Mason last year and wanted to (laughs) wanted to make sure he knew that. I don't I don't necessarily know, but uh, I, you know, I would say anytime you can get the ball in your playmakers hands, you want to do it. And one of the things that I think they've struggled with a little bit, particularly with Tony, is that because he's not a traditional wide receiver, because he's not a traditional running back, they've struggled with exactly how to get him the ball. And maybe, um, you know, we saw a lot coming into the Michigan game last year where Florida had put some very specific things in for Michigan. Obviously, Mullen, I think, is a very good game planner, and so he had things for that game specifically in there. That's probably where you're going to see stuff Mm. where there's specific Emory Jones, Kadarius Tony packages. I don't expect us to see that against Missouri or Florida State, but, you know, hey, maybe they'll – maybe they'll pull that out. I, I, I just, I don't foresee them pulling out packages that they weren't willing to at least test out against somebody like Vanderbilt yeah. for games against Missouri and, and Florida state. I think at this point it's Florida's offense is what it is. I've been a little bit surprised. They haven't gone with two running backs more often. Yeah. I've been a little bit surprised. We haven't seen a quarterback pit or a, a tight end pitch up the middle at all. Um, you know, there's just, there's portions of the offense that are missing. Some of that is because the offensive line has struggled. Some of that is because of the skill they have on the outside. And the reality is, is that when you can throw a slant to Swain that gets taken 65 yards to the house, you know, throwing us, throwing a swing pass out to Kadarius Tony and have him dance around to gain eight yards isn't quite as attractive. So, um, you know, I still think that they need to get the ball to him more often. I don't think that's enough touches. I mean, the fact that Tony's your leading rusher, I think is it's impressive from Tony's perspective, but bad overall for the team's perspective, unless you're going to give him 14 carries and he hasn't really shown that he can carry that workload. But um, again, when they've given Tony the ball in the past over the last two years, the offense has scored. And, you know, part of that is because he's, he runs the ball. Part of it is because every time he touches the ball, it's usually like a six to eight yard gain, sometimes more than that. And you know, they clearly focused on getting him the ball against Miami. So the fact that the fact that he's back the last two games, they haven't really, really isolated him yet. It's been a bit of a surprise. But um, you know, like I said, a lot of weapons out there, and Mullen has to find a way to keep everybody happy. All right, quickly, Will. Uh, of course, some injury notes ahead of the Missouri game. It looked very bad for Brad Stewart uh, last week with the way he went out, but Mullen did say in his Monday press conference that the injury isn't that serious. They look for him to play uh, against Missouri on Saturday, and also Jabari Zuniga, Brett Heggie look to be available uh, as well uh, for the game this Saturday. Will that looks right now to be a high of fifty degrees for a noon kickoff uh, at Missouri, and look fifty degrees. Not really all that cold, but when you really aren't used to it, <laughs> you out there in Philadelphia, Will, you're kind of laughing about that. Uh, but uh, being down here in Florida, you know, uh, and these kids, uh, these players haven't necessarily been able to practice in it. Um, the game kicks off. It'll be 11 a.m. over there in Missouri. So you're probably looking at like a high 40s when the, when, when the game kicks off, something the team's not really going to be used to. Uh, one of those lazy noon kickoffs. But, Will, it is time to get this Missouri – um, this this Missouri blanket off of Florida. You know, we we all kind of circled this game going into the season, not because it was LSU hype or LSU or, or Georgia hype. It's just because Missouri just seems a way, you know, it just seems to always find a way to give Florida some trouble. Yeah, I got to be honest. If Florida can't get up for this one, they got a real issue. Cause yeah, they've been embarrassed by Missouri the last two years. Not just beaten; they've been embarrassed. Yeah. Right? I mean the the loss last year obviously was embarrassing, but the loss two years against against Missouri. I mean, there were plays where where the defensive backs didn't really look like they cared, and they were getting getting beat downfield. You had Malik Zaire in there running the ball <laughs> and and McElwain had just been fired and, and they came out and looked listless. Um, you know, they, they've really been stomped by Missouri the last two years. And you figure that those guys have to take it personally in some capacity that, that, that that's happened to them. And, you know, well, I think I just brought up all these seniors and, you know, laud them. I mean, look, you got to be tired of losing to these guys. 
Well, it's not entirely clear whether Kelly Bryant's even going to be playing in the game. So yeah. if Bryant's not playing in the game, I think you've got um, you've got an opportunity, again, sort of like they did against Vanderbilt this past week, to do some things on defense that uh, that really put Missouri in a rough spot. So, you know, Florida's had some injuries. Florida certainly has had some, some talent attrition, but at the same time, they're more talented than Vanderbilt. And I think they're more talented at the quarterback position. And that maybe is the difference between this year and the last couple of years. I mean, Drew Locke, he got drafted for a reason. He's a very good quarterback. He struggled his first year at Missouri, but the last two, he was really an excellent quarterback. And and those types of quarterbacks have been able to take advantage of Grantham's defenses. So that's maybe the thing that you'd look for is if Kelly Bryant is in there, he's been basically an average quarterback for over his career, both at both at Clemson and, and at Missouri. And so the question then is, is that good enough? Is he going to be able to convert third downs the same way Jake Fromm did or the same way that Joe Burrow did? Well, Joe Burrow didn't convert any because they were <laughs> blowing up and down the field. <laughs> but is he going to be able to take advantage of what yeah. Grantham's throwing at him? I mean, it was pretty clear that Missouri or that Vanderbilt didn't know what to do with the blitzes that Grantham was sending and, and really with the scheme that he had out there. And then they were able to even beat him just, you know, with the front four up front. Um, if, if they can beat Missouri with their front four and get pressure, then I don't care who the quarterback is for Missouri. He's going to struggle. But if it's not Bryant, if it's their backup, they're going to they're gonna have a rough time and, and Florida should win easily assuming that they wake up and come prepared to play. And that's always the thing, right? The 11 a.m. start, the noon games tend to be places where you get upsets. And you already mentioned the cold. And, um, you know, 50 ain't cold, buddy, but yeah. <laughs> but it's colder. So, yeah. um, But at the end of the day, that can't be an excuse. Every two years, you got to go up to Columbia and play a game. Yeah. It's almost always going to be in November. At some point, Florida has to win these games. And, you know, wear a sweatshirt and or wear some Under Armour and, and put some heaters on the sideline and go out there and kick somebody's butt. They have to wear Nike, Will. <laughs> no, they have to wear Jordan brand. There we go. Uh, well, there you go. I, I, I have, I have ruined their, their, their deal. <laughs> I'm sure Nike has something that's very similar to an Under Armour shirt. Yes, so yes, we'll yeah. uh, wear a compression shirt. Well, there we go. There we go. Uh, I'm sure Will, you just discussed a little bit, but uh, you'll have your Missouri preview coming up in midweek. Absolutely. They're sort of interesting. You know, they, they've lost four games all on the road. Yeah. But one of those losses to was was to Wyoming and then Vanderbilt. And then they lost to Kentucky when Kentucky uh, was sort of going between quarterbacks. And, you know, but then they went at home, but they haven't really played anybody at home, right? You got West Virginia, Southeast Missouri State, South Carolina, Troy, and Old Miss. So not exactly a, yeah. a murderer's row. Yeah. <laughs> and kind then of- they're. Coming and then off they, a bad Georgia loss. Yeah, and then they've lost the last three weeks. And, you know, I, I think the loss to Vanderbilt 14 to 21 is is after what we saw with Vanderbilt this past week, says something about the team. And then losing to Kentucky by 22 points and losing to Georgia by 27. Yeah. You know, so yeah, it'll be interesting. I, I haven't really had a chance to go look at film very much, but um, you know, that that those are really distinct home and road splits. And and to be that successful at home and that inept on the road is really something you don't see very often. So obviously Florida's having to take on take them on at, at home and, and we'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, if you want to look at it that way, besides the LSU game, Florida hasn't really looked all clean uh, on the road. You had the game in Orlando, that was a tough, hard fought game against Miami. I uh, went to Kentucky, had to have the comeback win there. Uh, you know, besides the LSU game. Uh, you know, you have a, Florida hasn't been so smooth on the road, and of course, you know the the the, uh, the game against Jacksonville or the game in Jacksonville comes to mind uh, as well. You had the slow start in Columbia uh, as well, and kind of had to you know go through so, go through the rain there. Of course, you know a couple things uh, were in play there, but you know Florida hasn't been the smooth operation on the road either. No, but the difference is, is that they've actually looked competent, right? I yes. mean, there, there have been some things that that haven't gone their way, but but when it's come to the third and fourth quarter, and they've really need to, needed to to make a difference, they've been able to do that, and and that's one of the things I think that um, that obviously Vanderbilt or that Missouri has not been able to do because when you lose to Wyoming. Even, yeah. Now I'm not quite sure why they were at Wyoming. That's one of those where you gotta wonder. Do the the home huh? of Wyoming is an interesting is an interesting way to open up the season. But uh, but yeah, I mean, so they have not shown the ability to sort of overcome the types of things that Florida's been able been able to overcome on the road. But at the same time, um, they've been pretty dominant at home. Like you said, Florida's had some rough starts on the road. So you know, we'll see. I, I think. 
uh, end of the day, it's always have the right be start the game with the right wristbands. <laughs> you know, end of the day, it's, well, that will definitely help. But <laughs> end of the day, it'll come down to Bryant versus Trask or whoever the Missouri quarterback is versus Trask. And I feel pretty comfortable now with Trask in, in most of those battles. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you can catch the um, Gators Breakdown Missouri preview later this week with Gabe DeArmond from Power Mizzou. I uh, had him on last year. Really good preview there. Um, so we'll do that. And you can catch Will's Missouri preview as he breaks down Missouri and what they do uh, good and bad there at readandreaction.com and follow him on Twitter at Will Miles SEC. Will, anything else, man? Nah, man. Just appreciate everybody reading our stuff, reading my stuff, listening to the podcast. And, you know, hey, eight and two, this is where we wanted to be coming into this. Or, I mean, I guess we a couple of weeks ago, we wanted to be nine and yeah. one coming into this space. But eight and two is where you thought you'd be to start the year. Florida has an opportunity here to get to be one win better than they were last year. And, and I don't think we need to take that. I don't think we should take that for granted. I think that, um, you know, that it's not that every team doesn't go 10 and two. And you have the opportunity to do that. You have the opportunity to, to sort of exercise the demons against Missouri this week and then go beat down your rival again the, you know, over Thanksgiving. And, uh, you know, I'm excited to see what they can do and excited to see if they, if they come out with the requisite urgency this week that, that you would think they would have after some of the past games. So just excited and looking forward to it again. Yeah, absolutely. All right. That's Will Miles. As I said, you can find his site, readingreaction.com. Or on Twitter at Will Miles SEC. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.